TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to another edition of 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of age well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and I am here with God's creation to activity, <laughs> the wellness couch and wellness guys co-founder, oh. Dr. Damien Christoph. So much Dad. pressure, so much pressure, MP. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, MP. I always wait <laughs> what you're going to say. I just came up. Oh, gosh. Came up. Now, if you are just tuning in uh, and apple. you missed last week's episode, we were getting stuck into... The article that was... The uh, rhetoric. The rhetoric. Oh, the rhetoric was yes. incredible. And we'll get to a bit of the rhetoric. I'd like to read out some of the, uh, oh, the just the very angry... Uh, grumpy. Other word? Very grumpy. grumpy. <laughs> some, of <Moody>. the, <laughs> some of the rhetoric coming out of the uh, article featuring Pete Evans in a recent uh, piece in The Australian. And we got down, we got two points out of the six in terms of the... Uh, the six foods that he never stops in the house. And uh, we got two, uh, we got into grains, we got into soy, they're never in Pete's house. And the third one, Damo, is sugar. Ah. Including natural sugars in fruit juice and artificial sweeteners. Now, I might just read a bit of this here. Yes. Just to give a bit of context. When I was younger, this is what Pete says, I used to love a freshly squeezed fruit juice until I realized it was doing me more harm than good. Excess sugar, whether from naturally sweet sources or the nasty refined stuff, Causes you to gain weight, accelerates the aging process, is addictive, apparently more so than cocaine, and has a cumulative effect, meaning it builds up against systems over time and causes numerous mental and physical disorders and disease, including one of our biggest killers, type 2 diabetes. So, mm. needless to say, my family avoids everything from muesli bars, biscuits, sauces, cakes, and anything processed and packaged in favour of making our own sauces, dressings, and treats for special occasions oh. using sweeteners like Green powdered stevia. I don't know if you like that one. Don't know. Yeah, I do. I like raw that. honey. You do like that one. Yeah. Raw honey and pure maple syrup. Oh, I never use artificial sweeteners, but yeah. I thought it was wise to mention them because, despite the weight of scientific evidence proving artificial sweeteners, including aspartame, sucralose, saccharin, and what's your favourite one, Damo? Erythritol. Erythritol. Bloody erythritol. human consumption. They still line the shelves of our supermarkets and are offered at cafes and restaurants. Oh. Interestingly. There's also numerous studies showing that artificial sweeteners cause increased hunger and greater weight gain than does sugar. Yep. Now, interestingly, Damo, okay. I haven't seen a lot of the artificial sweetening governing boards coming out and defending their products against what Pete Evans has said. We don't need to because they're not worried about it. You know, there's so many yeah, people out there. You know, so many people out there consuming it. No one needs to go out and defend that sort of stuff. Essentially, what. What Pete's doing is he's making people aware, and I think we mentioned this last time, last podcast, was that Pete's making people aware of the choices that they're making and getting them to just be a little bit more critical in their thinking. You know, if you think that uh, putting something that's, you know, artificial in your body is, you know, relatively inert and it's not going to hurt you and you're going to be fine, don't ever be surprised that one day something goes wrong because if it does go wrong and you've got the warnings, don't go and say, well, why didn't somebody tell me? The thing is what Pete's saying right now and whilst there can be some 
there's there's some big leaks and big leaps drawn in some of the things that Pete might be saying there. He's you know bridging gaps and he's he's jumping from one piece of the research to the next piece of the research, and maybe he's not stitching it together in a way that the academics are going to like. But for the average Joe, for everybody else out there, for you know for you and me, MP, we can easily understand what he's trying to say, and he's just saying, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He's saying, keep it real. Don't be led by marketing. Don't go down the road of thinking that just because the marketers say that it's good for you, that it is actually good for you. He's saying, I have maple syrup, I have honey, and I use stevia, ground stevia leaf. You can't get much better than that. You know, I st- I use Rapadura sugar. Rapadura sugar is just dried sugar cane juice. Cindy O'Meara and I will go into bat for Rapadura sugar any day. It's very high nutrient, dense, um, calorie moderate you know sweetener that's uh, it tastes delicious and uh, and you can put in your cooking you can put it in your food you know you can have it in a coffee i don't have it in my coffee but you could if you wanted to and it's not that bad we put it in our porridge it's delicious right so i um you don't pete saying these are the three that i use i would say i use those three as well and i use rapadura sugar and i'm totally cool with that but the more refined things go and I, I don't use any erythritol. I don't use any sorbitol. I don't use any saccharin. I don't use any um, aspartame. I don't use any of those sorts of chemicals because I don't trust that they're going to be good for my body. Now, someone else may want to use that, but the papers that I've read that say that they're dangerous or they're not healthful for me are enough to convince me that I don't want them. And Pete's saying the same thing. The thing is that Pete's got a media profile and people are going, oh my gosh, she's on the television saying that. And so people are a bit scared, but he's just allowing people to have choice. You know what I've just realised? No. Uh, I, left out, uh, I left out an important um, note that was in commas in, in regards to stevia because my impression, Damo, yep. what he said here is it's uh, green powdered stevia, in brackets, not the processed stevia that looks like sugar. Yes, that's correct. And that's what you've been banging on about, isn't it? That's what I've been saying. I love stevia. Like sugar. Yeah. The, the stevia that looks like sugar isn't stevia. It's erythritol made to look like sugar with a little bit of stevia, maybe two, maybe one, possibly 3% stevia. The rest of it is just erythritol. The, wow. To call it 100% natural is absolutely false and incorrect. And, wow. uh, and, and marketing. It's marketing. It's unethical marketing. It's unethical. It's dangerous. It's misleading. Um, and if the TGA, or sorry, if the, um, what is it, the... the oh, Whoever Therapeutic Goods Association. No, nah, not, not not all oh, like the foodies. The foodies. Oh, whoever makes up the, I think it's the Trade Practices Act. That's right, Trade Practices Act, Section Fifty Two, misleading deceptive conduct. They should be going after those people that are saying that um, the stevia erythritol products are one hundred percent natural. They should be going after those guys saying that's not true and that's misleading and deceptive, and you could be potentially causing disease for people. Don't lie like that. That's what they should be doing. But no one's going to take those companies to task um what what pete's got to do and what i've got to do and what cindy's got to do and what you've got to do is get people thinking about it and go okay well if stevia is all right then i can use some stevia i don't need to add erythritol or sucralose or saccharin you know well the wonderful thing is if you actually get a stevia um, leaf and actually bite it you'll actually realize how sweet it is it's so and it's so surprising because yeah. you're so used to not actually having a leaf that like if you have mint or basil or parsley or any of those herbs, when you buy, you know there's not going to be sweet. But with stevia, it's actually quite sweet. Uh, it's it's four hundred times sweeter than sugar. It's phenomenal. So it, the sweet profile of it is enormous. And so um, 
Yeah, so sorry, just a quick one on, on uh, Bill Shrapnel said here, his retort to what Pete said about sugar. Yep. Mr. Evans has obviously jumped on the anti-sugar bandwagon and is parroting unsubstantiated claims so prevalent in social media. There will be plenty of new reports on carbohydrates and sugars in the next couple of years as authoritative organisations update their recommendations, but somehow I don't think any of them will find that sugar causes numerous mental disorders, as <laughs> suggested. So interesting. All right. Well, look, can I just say, can I just say that there are links um, to excess sugar and uh, dementias. Um, in fact, in some circles, some scientists and some researchers have actually coined Alzheimer's diabetes of the brain. Now, yeah. this may or may not be the case for all people oh. who suffer from Alzheimer's. However, it's credible enough that they've coined it, that they've termed it, so that now the researchers into it, as researchers are looking into the link between excessive sugar consumption and what you could call diabetes of the brain. And uh, and so I think that that this guy who's who's writing this, what did you say his name was? Bill Shrapnel. Yep. He uh, he might actually have to eat his words, so to speak, uh, because you might actually find it. We do know that there are links for, uh, to um, schizophrenia and uh, autism spectrum disorder with the consumption of gluten. So why wouldn't it be plausible that sugar could also be involved? Well, I'm pretty sure, Damo, I was just uh, looking this up. We interviewed um, dementia expert Professor Michael Woodward, episode 42. We did. And I've got it there in the description now referred to as diabetes of the brain. I'm sure we spoke about this actual description with him on the episode. We did. And he was quite um, adamant saying, look, dementia, heart disease, cancer, the actual way to prevent these, you, you can multitask the prevention of these chronic diseases by actually living a healthy lifestyle. And I'm sure we mentioned um, sugar consumption on that podcast. So yeah. he is one of the most well-respected experts. He's I've got his Alzheimer's Australia Victorian Chief Medical Advisor. Yeah, um, there you go. On it. So we're not talking small minds. No. So I think it's important that we recognise that while some people might use their authority to say, well, Pete's just a chef and he's making unsubstantiated claims, there's also very well-educated um people that are also on the other side go, well, hold on, no, he's onto something. And like you said, if the actual, you know, everyday people, uh, myself, one of them, are reading this and it makes sense, yeah, then it's a job well done, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And just listen to this and having, you know, having a bit of a critical thought about what we're saying today. Um, is great for people to actually think about, you know, am I doing the best I can with my diet? That's if, you know, you're wanting to do some change. Like if you're not wanting to change anything, don't change anything. But if someone's looking to change something, they're not being misled by following a healthier diet. All righty, next one, toxic oils. Canola, cottonseed, soybean, sunflower, corn, safflower, rice bran and grapeseed and margarine uh, don't deserve to, uh, to be anywhere near your pantry or fridge. Now, I'm still flummoxed, though, when I go to the supermarket, how much cheap oil is on the shelf? Yeah, cheap and nasty. I, I feel like we're becoming more educated, but I think it's when someone said the other day, as Cindy O'Meara said on a recent podcast, like, you know, she, in, in her words, I'm pretty sure she said, you have no idea. Just because you know, you have no idea how many people still don't know. So for every one person out there that does know, there's 99 people that don't know, that still think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. But, uh, it's a healthy choice to, to buy a cheap oil. Um, but do you want to expand just on where this is going in terms of healthy oils, toxic oils, and what belongs in what category? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
It was interesting the other day, the Wellness Guys did a uh, a recording with a guy by the name of Lawrence Ayres, and he's uh, the head of the edible, the New Zealand and Australian Edible Fats and Oils Group. Um, and, or maybe it's the Edible Fats and Oils Group of Australasia. Something, it's something along those lines. Anyway, he's a terrific guy. I really like Lawrence. And he comes from a purely scientific um, background. He works at, uh, he used to consult and work for the Auckland University School of Medicine. And um, we were talking about oils and fats. And what was interesting about that discussion was that he was able to break it down and talk about polyunsaturated fats and margarines and saturated fats. And But in a way that gave some degree of an understanding of what the researchers are looking at in a test tube. Now, he also commented that he was you know, very mindful and cognizant of the fact that in practice, things can be a little bit different. And the way in which humans interact or react to different oils or have a physiological response to oils can be different. So, for example, olive oil for some people is amazing, for other people it's not. For some people, coconut oil is amazing, and for other people, it's not. He said it was very important to be clear that MCTs and coconut oil aren't the same thing. So medium-chain triglycerides and coconut oil aren't one and the same, um, although we're being led to believe that that is the case. They are, yeah. You know, that's, and, and, and so it is important to understand that certain oils are good and certain oils um, are cheap. And the cheaper the oil, um, potentially the health benefits um, decline. Now, what the edible fats and oils group talk about is their ability to go on the table. So can they be used for cooking? Yes. Not necessarily. Can they be used for cooking? And are they still going to be healthy for you? So they talk about smoke point and burn point. And what the researchers and what the dietitians and what the nutritionists are saying is that, say, canola oil, for example, or rice bran oil can be heated and it still maintains some of its properties and it's going to be low in saturated fat. So that if your measurement criteria for um, disease progression or for the dangers of oil fits under a model that you're measuring saturated fat as a bad guy or fits under a model that you're measuring trans fatty acids as a bad guy, then those types of oils would be probably still okay. But if you're using um, your measurement tool or your yardstick of of health and well-being as the, uh, as the metabolic process or the result of um, the, the body's result from cons- consuming those oils, then the equation's slightly skewed. It's different. So the response by the body by consuming certain types of oils will be um, negative and poor if you're consuming those oils such as canola oil and cooked, um, you know, uh, grapeseed oil and and rapeseed oil and all that sort of stuff that's rich in omega omega six fatty acids. The cooking of the omega six fatty acids is the dangerous thing as opposed to uh, the rawness of those oils. Okay, can I ask you a question? Yes. This is, this is uh, off topic but on topic. And I'm not going to say who it is because it, I'm, I'm still embarrassed. I feel embarrassed for the person who, but maybe I'm just not, maybe I just don't understand. There is a, a vegan um, uh, personality who has a very large following uh, and who's all about health. Who, I, my wife Sarah purchased um, arrowroot powder the other day. And on the back of the pack was a uh, recipe, and it contained three quarters of a cup of canola oil, and I was flummoxed. Is that right? And wow. my thought was, and, and it was attributed it's price to pointed. it was attributed to this person. Yeah. And I then googled it just to make sure that it was on this person's website. Right. And I was like, really? Like, like it's it's what? a price point and, thing. Yeah. But even but for, even for the sake of a recipe, like. 
Now I was thinking, well, hold on, because like, when I was vegan, like, canola oil was never like a buzz oil, it was never like going to get canola oil, but it had three quarters of a cup. So it wasn't like a tablespoon or a teaspoon. And I was, so it's almost used as like the base oil. I don't even remember what the recipe was, but um, there's no like, again, this is in terms of the education process. There's no, I mean, people still, there's no benefits to any of the cheap oils. Yes, uh, no, there, there is no benefit to the cheap oils other than you get to use those oils. Now, in terms of... Um, but there's nothing, but even if they're raw, like raw, I mean, they're not even raw because they've been heated to, to get into the actual yeah, packet. That's right. They're heat extracted uh, and chemical extracted, bleached and deodorized. So I wouldn't have them. I just, I just don't think you need to eat them. And so going back to Pete's point... Um, he's going to eat, you know, oils that are cold pressed, extra virgin, and he's going to stay away from the, the from the oils that are rich in omega six fatty acids because if he's going to cook with the omega six fatty acids, that's no longer beneficial to the body. So, if he's eating nuts and seeds, which are also high in omega six fatty acids, they're going to be raw, so he'll get the benefit from the omega six fatty acid. But when you're heating it, um, the omega six fatty acids are relatively volatile and they are no longer no longer helpful. And this is. These are the leaps that maybe um, is being missed in the discussion or this is where people are getting their back up because he might say that omega-6 fatty acids are bad and they're pro-inflammatory. Omega-6 fatty acids are actually mildly anti-inflammatory provided they're raw. So flaxseed oil, for example, high omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids. It's got a little bit of omega-3 in it but not a whole lot. Um, it's somewhat anti-inflammatory provided it, it doesn't oxidize. If it oxidizes and it does get, it, it can oxidize pretty quickly, provided it doesn't oxidize, it can be mildly anti-inflammatory. And that's that's a good thing for many people. But other people will benefit from using fish oil or um, halibut oil or something like that as opposed to um, using a plant-based omega-3 fatty acid. All right. This is a controversial one, the next Ooh, one. Okay. Now, I'm not sure how much time we've got. Do you know how much time we've got? Yeah, we've got uh, still about five minutes. Okay, dairy. Now, <laughs> dairy. In this article, most people don't retain the ability to digest milk after infancy and most dairy is not at all critical for good health. Contrary to mainstream recommendations, drinking milk and eating lots of dairy products are not the answers to reversing or preventing osteoporosis. goes on to say, if you're one of the lucky few who can tolerate dairy, certain forms of grass-fed cows can be a nutrient-dense addition to the diet. No one in our home um, can digest dairy, including butter, without ill effects. So we make our own almond milk. Or use creamy organic coconut milk, or watch out for hidden nasties, and choose BPA-free cans. Now, the some of the rhetoric around this was interesting. Was it Mr. Shrapnel? Oh, I didn't mind what Mr. Shrapnel said because it was a bit similar to was it Shrapnel? Just looking for it. That said, um, no, hold on a minute. This was from retired Dr. Paul Christie. Um, he said, "I disagree with almost everything uh, Peter says, particularly about lactose intolerance. Most mammals." including humans, lose the ability to digest milk once they have been weaned. About 10,000 years ago, yep. when farming began, a genetic variant arose that allowed older children and adults to continue to metabolize lactose. This meant these people were more likely to survive, as were their descendants. Yep. Lactose intolerance is higher in Europe, but I'm fairly confident that in Australia it is well under 50%. I also think Pete's views on grains and toxic oils are a threat to the community and should be rebutted. Um but I have a feeling we spoke about this when we were talking about the Chris Cresser personal paleo code that yep. some people have uh, held on to the the lactose digestion gene. Yes, the lactose um, gene. Yep. And, and others haven't. Yes. So that it's probably not wise to blanket it. 
again, it's a blanket convers. It's a blanket thing. There's a few things that are coming out, and I know that uh, we're seeing in the research. There's a, a, a big um, move towards consuming different types of proteins in milk. There's been the understanding of uh, whey and casein for a long time, um, and the bodybuilders will tend to use whey protein isolate and um, whey protein concentrates um, in, for different cycles of their training. And bodybuilders, you know, really, they know a lot about nutrition. They just do, they do it every single day. Now, rightly or wrongly, the way in which they do it, um, you could argue that to you black and blue, but at the end of the day, they have been playing with this. They've been the pioneers in the terms in terms of dairy proteins for a long period of time. Lactose is one of the sugars. So some people can clear lactose out of their body and digest it really well. That's called metabolism. You can do it very, very well because you still have the gene. Many people can't and many people won't ever be able to do that in their lifetime. They just won't switch that gene back on to be able to metabolize it. That's where there's lactose intolerance. And so there's a number of different um, symptoms for that, which we've already been through. Um, when it comes to casein, uh, there's greater understanding of A2 and A1 beta casein molecules um, or beta casein um, proteins. And the A2 beta casein seems to be uh, a safer option for human consumption than the A1. And this was research that was done in New Zealand um, by Fonterra scientists. Some must be nearly 20 odd years ago, maybe 25 years ago. And, uh, and unfortunately, those two scientists passed away. However, um, the A2 Milk Corporation continued on with the research, and there's some really exciting research coming out about it. And uh, and you actually now see that some of the milk companies are now advertising that their milk also contains A2 protein. So not only just A1 protein, but also contains A2 protein. What the A2 um, scientists are saying is that unless it only contains A2 protein, then it's bad for you. So there's that argument. Then what Pete goes on to talk about is whether or not having skim milk is good um, or whether or not yogurt is beneficial. Oh, can I say something? Yes. Your shrapnel. Yes. Mr. Shrapnel. Yeah. Says it's skim milk. Uh, Mr. Evans claims about these dairy foods are just plain wrong rather than being completely devoid of nutrients. These foods contain considerable calcium, vitamin B12, riboflavin, vitamin A, potassium, and zinc. Skim milk is one of the most nutrient-rich of all of them. I can suck that up, No, you have to suck freaking hard to suck that up, let me tell you. Because, yeah, all right, It's if you take the fat, you only take, like skim milk, you're taking 3% of the total fat out. So it's not too big a deal. But there's no need to do that. The, the downside to doing that, though, would be that your vitamin A and your vitamin D, which are both fat-soluble nutrients, require the fat for absorption. So they even recommend that children don't have skim milk or skim milk products because if they have that, then they decrease their absorption of vitamin D and vitamin A. And that's bad for them. So my thing is that how can 3% difference in fat be so significant that adults shouldn't be having that, right? So if you're going to have it, don't have the skim milk stuff. Have the full fat stuff. Um, it's a better way to go. You need the fat to absorb the vitamin A and you need the fat to absorb the vitamin D. Both are important. So if you're going to argue that milk is a um, is a nutrient-dense food, have the full milk product, not the modified version of it. Now, the last one, we are running out of time, but the last one is uh, grain-fed versus grass-fed. Obviously, you would say, uh, Pete says here, that made from grain-fed feed, lot-raised animals and battery farm eggs are never in the house. And he always goes for grass-fed uh, because it's good for the animal, good for the human, good for the world. Yeah. Um, 
And I might just, we don't probably have the time demo to go into that, but I think that probably makes sense to most people. I know a lot of people are still buying their grain-fed uh, meat uh, and the rest, but I might just finish up on the six foods that he always has at home, unless you want to make a comment on the meat side. All I want to say, all I want to say here is if you want to fatten cattle and you want to fatten um, animals, then you feed them more grain. Uh, the same thing goes for humans. If you want to fatten them up, just feed them more grain. So what I'm now going to say is that it's not bad to eat grain. It's just that if you eat too much, you will get fat and sick. That's just what happens. That's what happens to animals. That's what Wagyu beef is, is a fattened, sick animal that you're eating. And, uh, and, and you know, if you want to eat Wagyu, go for it. The Japanese love it. It's a delicacy, but it doesn't mean it's healthy. The fact that it's on the plate doesn't mean that it's good for you. It's just on your plate. So um, so can you get a grass-fed Wagyu? No. No, Wagyu is an 18-month-old calf that's been, well, one of the one of the classifications of Wagyu, one of the, the, the best quality Wagyus is an 18-month-old um, calf that's been only fed grain. That's it. Oh only fed grain. And it's so mottled, um, they have mottling scores um, or a score for the mottle and the fat in the meat. Um, and it's based on how fatty the meat is and how streaky it actually is because it's softer to eat, but it's definitely not good for you. Oh, gosh. All right, six foods we always have in the Evans household. Seasonal organic fibrous vegetables. Same. Organic, free-range, 100% pasteurized, uh, as in pasteurized. Yes. Uh, meat, poultry, and eggs. Yep, same. Uh, fermented, cultured vegetables. We do that. We've got our... Uh, we've got Sauerkraut. Our sauerkraut and kombucha, yep. Fresh and dried herbs and spices. Always. Nuts and seeds. Got it, paleo. Got it. Got my Virgin. paleo mix. Virgin, yeah, forage paleo, forage paleo, forage paleo. Boom, boom. Virgin coconut <laughs> oil. Got it. Oh, we, I do exactly the same thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Very healthy way to live. And if anyone's got any rebuttal around that, I bet you if I went to your suit, you went to your your um, your pantry, you're likely to have some kind of um, processed cereal product in there, margarine in your fridge, bottles of tomato sauce, white sugar sitting in a <laughs> container, and flour. And some um, supermarket mayonnaise. Supermarket mayonnaise and just a whole lot of rubbish. And, you know, you don't throw stones at glass houses, let me tell you. So you go bang, bang, and bang. <laughs> don't mind. Just get sick it of them. Is uh, always a pleasure having a chat with you yourself on 100 Not Out. The Wellness Summit has been run and won. We haven't actually been there yet because we were recording this before the summit, but no doubt, Damo, it was an awesome event. Oh, it was awesome. It was the best <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> and Damo, as always, many thanks for your guidance and expertise on 100 Not Out. We have uh, run out of time this time, folks, on 100 Not Out, but we remember we would always love to hear your feedback. You can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash 100 Not Out. Leave us a comment. You can also subscribe to this episode and the other podcasts on the Wellness Couch by going to iTunes. And check out thewellnesscouch.com and uh, view the entire range of wellness podcasts available, including the number one show, The Wellness Guys. So until next week, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life.